I'm Miguel Ibarra, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson i'm here with callum williams cal give us an update on epl and your boys the villains oh do i have a note um <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry i didn't know i was touching a nerve i just i know that epl started and uh, it a couple of people said do you want to be in a league i'm like ah and then it happened i didn't do anything so i did sorry i'm not in any kind of okay um well to give you a brief synopsis um we have one win. We beat Everton on a Friday evening, a fine Friday evening at that at Villa Park. Um, but that was several weeks ago. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so apart from that, it's not gone particularly well. We gave a very good account of ourselves on opening day at Spurs, where we lost uh, 4-1, if my memory serves me correct. But it's a flattering scoreline for Spurs because um, Villa defended very resolutely. Maybe it was 3-1. I can't remember. Anyway, Um and, and uh, gave a very good, stern defensive showing and, and sort of um, showed what they, um, what they were perhaps going to do on the roads. Um, and I wonder if that has hindered them a little bit, if, if they've been exposed a bit too early. Mm-hmm. Um, at home, it's not been anywhere near as clinical enough. Um, I watched the game yesterday against West Ham United, the Monday evening game, um, alongside our... Uh, our West Ham United fan in the office, which is uh, Sam Plucker. Ah, yes. Um, video wizard Sam Plucker. Um, and the two of us were fisticuffs and, you know, falling out and whatnot. So Sure. Uh, we kissed and met up there. It's okay. Um, and uh, Does his wife now? Uh, she does now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so my, my biggest concern from a, an Aston Villa point of view, Steve, is that I don't think we have enough goals in the team. Wesley, as we saw back here in the summer, is a, a brute of a footballer and, and a big boy and can cause some issues. Uh, but I question it if he has, you know, 15, 20 goals in him. And and I don't think that sole responsibility should fall on his shoulders either. I think the players behind him should chip in as well. You know, El Ghazi has, has been okay. I'm not convinced Premier League level-wise he can be consistent uh, enough. Um, Hotter has, has been poor. Uh, at least he was on Monday. And, and the big question mark right now is Jack Grealish. Is, am, am I, as an Aston Villa fan, am I right in expecting him to deliver every game? And I think the answer is yes, because it's Jack Grealish. He's the number 10. He's the star for the team. Right. Um, he's played at this level before and done very, very well. Um, I, I don't think it's out of the question um, to put too much on his shoulders. And... Um, you know, right now it's just not gone very well for Villa, you know. Sure. But look, I mean, it's early and I- I'm confident we have enough to stay up. Uh, I just think we probably need a, a couple of more goals. So so January could be an interesting window for sure. us. Is it, um, you know, I feel like obviously in, in American soccer, um, I don't know if people are aware, but we don't have promotion and relegation. Um, 
if people if people aren't aware, there are people with very strong feelings out there about this, mm. um, but we don't. And so when teams come into MLS, they often come from USL. They, they came from NASL. Sometimes they come from nowhere. Um, but inevitably, that moment that you step into, you know, the top division is a moment of celebration. Uh, it's your first season here. Welcome to a, a long path ahead from which you will never be from which you will never be knocked down, at least mm. for the for the foreseeable future. Um, and, you know, it's going to be tough, but it is mostly sort of a, a celebration. Is it, a, is it a different vibe when you're talking about a team that has been around for for decades and been in e, the EPL and then falls out and then you come back and you know let's like welcome back but we're gonna keep punching you in the face for a while <laughs> yeah it's um it, it is a rough brutalization if you will i think when you come back up as a premier league as a, a championship team back into the premier league um because the golfing class is <laughs> it's yeah. uh, astronomical um, and the championships are very 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 good league the best second division in the world in my opinion um, and perhaps one of the most competitive leagues across the globe. I, I've heard it compared to like M level of competition in MLS. I've, I've always said that I, I think the two of MLS and the championship are very, very similar sure. in terms of the, the pace, uh, the quality. Um, it's very physical, much like MLS as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, I think MLS is... Um, it's getting closer to the championship in terms of overtaking it because of now the, the South American influence. Sure. Uh, and, and you're seeing a little bit of a change of, of the way that MLS um, is, uh, is identifying itself now. But that's another debate for another day. Um, sure. But, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's not easy when you go up. Uh, and for those unaware, you know, you, when you get relegated from the Premier League, you have what's called, um, what's called parachute payments. And it's essentially the Premier League... Uh, understanding that that you uh, you know you have uh, you're, you're going to lose a lot of advertising, sure, and we want to help you keep afloat. And this is all the money that we've had from the pot of the Premier League uh, TV rights, and this is your share basically. Um, and that lasts for three years, to my knowledge, it lasted for three years. And uh, just prior to Villa coming into the Premier League, the third year in their Championship uh, tenure, shall we say? Mm -hmm. um, uh, was one uh, of astronomical importance because if they didn't come up, those payments would have stopped. Sure. And the club were in a bit of financial scrutiny anyway prior to that as well with changing of ownership and a lot of financial nonsense, um, which uh, can't be tolerated in English football or, or any football at any level. Um, but uh, yeah, look, it, 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 the gulf in, in quality is is huge, Steve. And, and I think people need to realise that... Um, not only from the championships of the Premier League, but but so many times when whatever country you're in, going from uh, essentially what is the, the second division into the top flight, there is going to be a huge golfing class. And yeah. uh, look, the, the one that we can really identify with um, uh, in terms of people finding out the hard way is, is FC Cincinnati. Sure. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> they have had a torrid time in Major League Soccer. Um and I think a lot of people identified that they would struggle early doors because they signed a lot of USL players. Yeah. USL is a very good league. I really like USL. And, and that's come on leaps and bounds compared to where, where that was as well. But that's right. a very, very good second division. USL League One is also a very competitive as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it is like everywhere else in the world, the top division is just streaks ahead. And USL to MLS... Is, is no different to anyone else in the world. And um, I think for my money, FC Cincinnati signed too many USL players. That's not to say they're bad players. I'm just not convinced you can build an MLS roster 
with the core group being from the minor leagues. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I think that in some ways MLS um, was spoiled by Atlanta United and LAFC coming in sort of back-to-back years, whereas, and this is pointed out frequently, you know, once people were off their hyperbole, that the first season that Minnesota United had is much more in line with what you expect from an expansion team. It was even, by a lot of measures, a successful expansion season um, for, for a team. And you're seeing FC Cincinnati having those growing pains, I'm sure, coming up. You know, we have other teams coming in like Miami and, and Nashville and Austin. They're not all going to be uh, LAFC and Atlanta. So, you know, some of them are going to, it depends. It just sort of depends on the ownership. It depends on the place. It depends on, you know, the history and things like that. So, you know, it, it, it takes time to become, adjust to becoming an MLS team. So. It does. I think my, Miami may very well disagree with you in terms of them being. No, I know. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying Miami is going to be cheap. Mm. Um, but anyway, speaking of teams that don't look like MLS teams, Houston, um, <laughs> we, <laughs> I mean, also <laughs> didn't look so good losing to Houston. Amazingly, we have not gotten together for a sound of the loon since before that game against Houston. Well, we've both been very busy, haven't we? Well, it's very busy. And I also, after that loss, I was a little hesitant to try to get right back in and record a podcast because I wanted to see the result against RSL. Having seen a tremendous win against LAFC, a very disheartening loss, I wanted to see like the third game of this three-game set to sort of decide like whether I thought Houston sort of augured serious problems. Um, and I think that the... The Houston game was bad, obviously, but there were there were reasons for why it was bad. Um, and you can quibble about who's responsible. We quibbled a little bit already this morning about <laughs> who's responsible for it. Um, I wanted to start by saying that personally, at least in my memory, I feel like the 4-3-3 has never worked particularly well for this team for whatever reason. Um, it, good success early against D.C. United in late April. Played the 4-3-3 and won 1-0 at Allianz Field. The next game was a 1-1 draw. Uh, at home to Seattle, and then a 2-0 loss to Chicago, which was one of the worst losses early on in the season. And that was the end of the 4-3-3 for a while. Um, came back uh, against Atlanta United in the Open Cup final. Obviously, it was it struggled with that. Switched to a 4-2-3-1 in the second half and looked better in that Atlanta United game. And then also switched to the 4-2-3-1 in the second half against Houston and looked better. Um, so I don't know that the 4-3-3 is, it, for whatever reason, it just doesn't, there's a couple different the the three five two or five three two has looked good at different times. Um, you've even even seen last night or last night when when was the RSL game? <laughs> uh, Sunday. You saw a four one four one late in that. Um, you know you even saw. Uh, well, we'll talk about RSL when we get to RSL. But w- what is your feeling on the four three three and what it does given the 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 personnel we have? Do you think it can work with the personnel we have? It's it's um, a lot of it is down to the individuals. Um, I think four three three is perfectly fine um, in most given circumstances. Um, but again, it depends on the opponent. It depends on the situation. It depends on the performance from the individuals. Uh, I have said to you many a time on this podcast and, and various other um, outlets. I I'm not um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm not convinced that Minnesota United get enough from um, the number eight position. Um, in Jan Grigish, um, simply because I don't think he makes enough secondary runs. Sure. Um, I thought when he came on, not to um, step over the RSL uh, conversation, but I thought when Hassani Dotson came on against RSL, he looked like a proper eight. He looked like somebody who would go back and forth and go box to box and and make things happen and provide plenty of energy. Um, by no means am I saying Jan Gregor has been poor because I don't think he has. Yeah, um, I, I think Jan's. I think, he's been good. I think Jan's issues 
uh, there's a couple of issues that, that Jan has and and <laughs> would say this to his face. Um, I, I think uh, he struggles to recover when he um, when he gets forwards, particularly when he does make um, uh, make a run of some sort uh, into the box, which doesn't happen very often. But but when he does join in on the attack, um, his transition and recovery isn't the sharpest or quickest, um, which ultimately exposes whoever's playing alongside him. Um, whether it is uh, a four three three or a four two three one, you're going to leave teammates exposed. So. Um, it, it's um, it's an interesting conversation, Steve. But uh, I have no problem with four three three. I think as well, um, we uh, Minnesota United have the personnel to play it. Um, particularly when you have the likes of Molino and Finlay either side of the centre forwards, um, because they they tend to, as we've said numerous of times, um, they tend to tuck in um, under the instruction. Of, of Adrian Heath, but also there's a element of of um, them playing their natural game, um, and the fullbacks will will go forwards, um, especially when they are as as abrasive and adventurous as as Metinier and and um, you know Gasper and, and Moembe Torat or whoever have you um, on that side. So um, I think it's fine. I think four three three is absolutely fine, but I think four two three one with the players we have is much more effective. Yeah. Um, and look, a lot of it, a lot of it comes from from def- defending from the front as well. Um, I, I look, <laughs> Mason has been great. Mason Toy has been really good for Minnesota. Um, he was um, borderline rancid in Houston. It's the worst game I've ever seen him play. Didn't get in behind the back line at all. And both when Mayor and Garcia were more than happy for him to play in front of them all game. He was dropping for the ball. Adrian Heath is screaming at him, tearing his hair out, saying, what are you doing? Why are you dropping for the ball? Get behind the back line because you've got players here who can play the ball through. And if you get behind the back line, you will get chances. You will score goals. Mm-hmm. But when you centre forward, your main outlet starts to drop. What are you doing? What are you doing? Drop. Get back. Yeah. Get behind that back line. Um, so it's... Um, four three three works. But... I think right now, um, Mason Toy uh, still has a lot of learning to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same can be said for Abu Dunladi, yeah. um, who I also thought was hopeless against Houston on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, and Angelo Rodriguez, um, he's not someone to, to press and cause issues for a back line when they have the ball at feet. The time where he causes issues is when the ball is in the air and he can win the ball in mid-flight or he can hold the ball up and bring the other players into play. Um, So 4-3-3 does work. Um, And and I think it has worked in in periods uh, for this football club. But I just think 4-2-3-1 works so much more better with the players that we have. Sure. I mean, the formation is agnostic, right? Like certain teams, 4-3-3 works great. Um, this is, uh, sporting KC, right? That's like, that's been their bread and butter. So, um, I think that it just, whether it's, it's not run enough in practice or whether it doesn't, you know, like we've talked about how the three, five, two, in a lot of ways, as it moves through space mimics some of the four, two, three, one, when you have, you know, Ozzy Alonso dropping in the middle to almost play as a three part of a three man back line occasionally with those, those fullbacks going forward. So sometimes you see similarities between those two things. I feel like the, the often what you see with the four, three, three, which you point out, if you don't have like a, a, a diehard number nine in the middle there, it, it, we don't have somebody who's built to either 
to simply just get the ball in the box and score. Um, you need, we have guys who go on the break. We have guys who hold up. We don't sort of, and so you're, you're relying a lot on just three people up there as opposed to like the four people you're looking at more often. And I think sometimes the, the fact that the way that the wingers like to tuck in, um, in the four, three, three, you get them tucking in, but because of more people in the midfield, I feel like sometimes you don't see the fullbacks come as, as forward aggressively in that you get sort of kind of just stuck in the midfield a lot, um, which can be good if you're trying to stop the other team sure. from breaking through the midfield. But, um, for a team that can sometimes struggle to create, to get really creative on the offensive. And I think sometimes the four, three, three at this point just kind of slows things down in a way that's not very productive, but then let's talk about the other thing, which is, you know, toy looked, looked terrible and gassed and Gregus, Gregus and, and Dotson. Also, they had just played, you know, they had traveled within 24 hours before that game. And many of them had played within 48 hours before that game. I think Jan only played like five minutes or something like that, but yep. he's coming from overseas. Um, you know, we, we spoke about this a little bit. You felt that was down to the players, maybe not being clear enough about like, this is what, this is how ready I am for the, yes. for the game. Um, I, I think I tend to err more on the side of, of Adrian says he picks the team and they drop themselves out of the team. So he's picking the team. He needs to make a decision about whether he thinks a guy who's traveled across several time zones is ready to play a game of soccer mm -hmm. the next day. Um, but it's clear that they were just, they were gassed. Yeah. And, and look, I see your point of view. Absolutely. By no means am I saying Adrian Heath is completely innocent here. Sure. But I, I tend to side um, with the argument that if you're a coach and the player says to you, I'm good, I can go, especially if they're an important player, like a Jan Gregush or, yeah. or a Mason Toy. Um, if that player says to you, I feel good, I'm okay to go, as a coach, what are you going to do? Because then if you, if you don't play them, the player's then annoyed and the player's like, you know, pouncing on the bench saying, well, I told you I was good to go. And, yeah. and then you go and lose the game 2-0, you know, and then you're thinking to yourself, ah, oh, jeez, well, you know, maybe I should have played the player who said he was okay to go. But then what we saw, what we saw in Houston was that players said they were okay to play and clearly they weren't. Yeah. Um, I thought it was the most dreadful 45 minutes we've seen from Hassani Dotson since he, he came to this club. Yeah. I thought Mason Toy looked like a deer in headlights. It was just an utterly woeful performance. I thought Jan Gregush um, was, was terrible as well. Um, and, uh, you know, even when Robin Lerd came, came on, he, he didn't offer much. There was a, you know, <laughs> a sprinkle of, of uh, chances that he half semi-created but was perhaps involved in the build-up too but um no there, there wasn't much from a, a positive point of view um to talk about when, we, when yeah. we talk about the houston dynamo result for sure yeah it's interesting because i thought also about how much you know the team collects data on guys workload right now they wear these catapult devices that give them this information when a guy is away for a week or so you're not getting that information anymore. And so you're not seeing some of those hard numbers that say, this is how far he's run. This is how much he's worked. And so you're relying a lot on just what the guy says, you know? So that's a fair point. I will say though, in any case, the point really is if you look, if you looked at away against LAFC, away against Houston and home against RSL, and you told me that six points, I'm happy with that. It's like it. Yep. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about the win against RSL. Um, Darwin Quintero was on one, as the kids say, <laughs> I believe. Um, did you see him get into it with Everton Luis? Uh, there was like a brief yes. moment where uh, it looked like Luis kind of took him down a little bit, or he went down in contact, and Everton 
I don't know if he goes by Ever- he, Everton's on his jersey, right? So I can call him Everton. Sure. Um, it, just as soon as the play stopped, he just ran right back to Darwin and like was clearly not happy with Darwin going down. And I think Darwin wasn't being ha- very happy with being yelled at. And I think no. he took it out on himself. Absolutely, because I remember the ball was at the other end of the field and the two were still having to go at each other, weren't they? And I yeah. kind of was, had one eye on the ball and I sort of pointed to Kendra and said, <laughs> look over there just in case. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it, no doubt. Um, I think um, Everton Luiz and Kyle Beckerman got under the skin of Darwin Quintero. And you know what, Steve? I absolutely love it because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> an annoyed Darwin Quintero seems to be the best version of Darwin Quintero. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot said about Darwin over the course of the, the last couple of weeks, and I'll put my hands up and, and we'll say I've, I've said a lot of negative stuff as well, and, and quite rightly so. He's been nowhere near the level that, that we have wanted to, to see and, and have expected um, this season. Um, so I don't know if he's heard anything. I, I would assume he has um, heard something somewhere about people slandering his ability in his season, um, and they have every right to do so. And if that motivates him, then so be it. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing which I, I do remember saying uh, to, to Kendra D. St. Auburn in, in, in the booth before we went on the air, I said, I hope Kyle Beckerman goes through Darwin Quintero in the opening couple of minutes. So Beckerman gets his point across and says, I'm here, you're playing against me, you're going to have a tough time today. Because usually that can work psychologically against a couple of players. But as I've said several times now, I actually think it motivates somebody like Darwin Quintero. Yeah. And the second goal that you uh, that we saw him score, um, he was able to get the better of, of two RSL players, one of them being Beckerman, who clattered into each other and he just went on yeah. and obviously in the end scored. But um, I- I'm absolutely fine with inside the opening five minutes, any player from any opposition just clattering Darwin Quintero not doing any any harm, right? Um, and and if that's the way he needs to be motivated, then then absolutely so be it. No problem. I thought he was magnificent. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that just the playoff run period is also a part of this. That like that understanding that like this is what we're we're fighting for. Now. Hope so. Um, I mean, he's obviously a very up and down season. He had moments in the in the Open Cup. You know, he was the golden boot winner in the open cup actually. Awesome. So, um, it, some great work, some great individual games that did not turn into really strings of great games, um, without ever looking really consistently good. If this is the start of him looking consistently good for, you know, a month as he did in, in July last year, good timing. Like this is a good time for him to suddenly be a complete terror. So I would definitely welcome that. If he has a purple patch now from, from now until however far Minnesota United, go on this season, um, then, as you say, perfect timing. And, um, you know, look, some players are just motivated by different things. And, and look, yeah, may, maybe he um, he has started to realize that, look, this is the time where we have to deliver. And I'm, I'm the star here. I'm the big man here. And look, maybe he's one of these players where the spotlight has been off him for a long time. It's been on the likes of Mason Toy and Ethan Finlay and, and several others, Sasani Dotson and whatnot. Maybe he's thinking, well, no, I'm the man here. Yeah. I'm the man. Yeah. So why is the spotlight not on me? Oh, right, it's because I've not performed very well. So look, again, if, if that is something that motivates him, then so be it. Um, I just really hope now that he goes on um, on a tear. I hope he has, at the very least, good form now going into to what is undoubtedly the most important period in club history. Yeah. Also, uh, Ditto for Molino, who I think is really starting to look 
like a compelling playmaker pulling in from the wing, getting, getting inside um, as you, as we've talked about before, sort of tucking in there. Um, I sort of like him better in that role uh, than Darwin, which I think leaves Darwin free to sort of maraud a little more on the edge of the box, you know, with, with Molino picking up a little bit farther back and his, his passing is just, you know, Molino's hit ahead passes into the box have been some of the best we've seen from anybody this season on the team. Um, and then I think also that frees up, I think, I think it was maybe Matt Doyle had pointed out that the formation almost became like a four, one, three, two, uh, with Ozzy dropping back into defense a little more in the midfield being Gregush, Ludd, and Molino, and then sort of Quintero and Toy up at the top um, at times, like when it was pushing forward. And I thought that was that was a good look, and I think that gives – you often saw Quintero above Toy at certain points. Um, and again, with Molino back there and able to pick out those, those little curling passes with just the perfect weight on him are great. And it's great to see because Kevin's a great guy, and you know I know he's wanted to come back and come back strong, and I think it seems like he's finally doing that from the, from the injury last year. Yeah, and look, the four-one-four-one is just a, a naturalization of a four-two-three-one when, sure. when they're attacking and whatnot. And um, you know, I think, uh, as I said, I, I still don't think there's enough coming from from the number eight position um, in transition. But uh, we'll leave that there. Um, uh, look, Molino's been great. The the pass through for Quintero's first goal was beautifully um, delivered, and and Darwin did the rest, obviously. But um, look, Molino is is a top draw player. Um, but I think even he will admit, you know, obviously 2018 was was a loss because of the, the ACL injury. But in, let's be honest, what was a very poor team in, in 2017, he got something like nine assists mm-hmm. and and uh, six or seven goals. I don't have the figures in front of me, but it, it was a good season for somebody playing in a number 10 role with, um, you know, and I, I'm trying to be respectful here, but it, it just wasn't a good team. Right. Um, yes. And sure. uh, I thought Molino's numbers were, were good considering that and, and good for a team that didn't have a lot of possession in 2017. So mm. um, I think uh, obviously he's had a little, um, he, he's had an injury hampered campaign again. There's been lots of little niggles, you know, there's times where his hamstring's tight, there's times where he's got a little um, swollen ankle, a knee issue, a little back, you know, just, just little niggling injuries have seemed to have hampered his progress this season. Um, but when when he has turned up, boy, he's looked very, very good. I, I won't forget anytime soon that performance in Montreal yep. um, when he assisted Mason Toy twice yep. uh, with two fantastic balls um, into the feet of Toy. And, um, you know, look, I think um, Molino is, is a vastly underrated player for sure. And I completely agree with Adrian Heath saying when it's Molino, Quintero and Lourdes behind the centre forward, it is the three best footballers at the club, no yeah. doubt. Now, now, there is an element of misfortune there for somebody like Ethan Finlay, who I think has been magnificent over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, but this is football. And, um, you know, Finlay obviously uh, comes off the bench and has a tremendous impact. Yeah, off the bench. I mean, it's tough because he always says all the right stuff about it. He's very diplomatic and he's, he's very eloquent um, and, and, and is always says it's, it's what's good for the team. And he's referenced it before. Like he's talked about how, you know, Atlanta United have all but coming off the bench and he's a DP, you know? Yeah. So um, I hope he believes that. I mean, I hope that's how he genuinely feels because I think his role coming in to cause havoc in the second half, because his, his work rate is just insane, you know? And, and that's something that you need in that 65th plus minute, like mm. going down the stretch. So he's, um, I will say this about him. I do find him to be one of the most genuine human beings yeah, genuine footballers I've I've ever dealt with. Um, we did an interview with him today about his uh, recovery from his ACL, which you can find at some stage on MNUFC.com uh, over the course of the next few weeks. But um, uh, just 
uh, such um, uh, a well prepared human being, um, somebody who who speaks very eloquently, um, somebody who um, I think at some stage will have a career in broadcasting if he wants to. Yeah. So I'm watching my back at the moment. <laughs> um, so he's. Um, I wouldn't. I would. I wouldn't pick you. To. <laughs> well, no, no, but you know who knows these days. Um, so it's. Um, uh, look, he's a tremendous human being, a uh, wonderful individual, um, and I do genuinely believe that he is genuine when, when he says all of these things. Yeah. Um, he, he seems to have his heart in the right place. And um, one of these players and one of these individuals that you always want to see do well. So I was delighted when he came on and, and scored on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, more kudos from for Roman Metzenier, mm. who got his first point since leaving for the African Cup of Nations. Um, that I think his last point was in like, June 2nd or something like that. Something ridiculous a long time ago. Yes, against Philadelphia. Um, with that long early cross to Finlay, which is vintage Roman Metzenier. He hit a lot of those early in the season. He's another guy where I feel like he's a huge piece of the puzzle if his crosses can find feet and, and heads, you know, because that's obviously the team is sometimes reduced to send it in crosses when other teams have bunkered against them. They have not worked out that well. If you've got a guy whose crosses are doing well, that's a whole different story. And, um, you know, I also noticed uh, he was doing a fair amount of pushing up the right wing and drawing people, but then getting it inside to Molino, mm -hmm. uh, which is also another nice dimension to add in addition to his sort of great early cross ability. So, you know, to have Quintero, Molino, and Metanier looking like they've taken a step up, if that can continue, that bodes well for over the, the rest of this playoff round. Yeah, and, and let, let, let's not forget the second goal. Um, Darwin Quintero doesn't get the ball if Roma Metanier doesn't make the efforts to keep the ball in play. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah, he realizes that there's a lot of space uh, ahead of him. So he must have spotted something for to have that urgency to keep the ball in play. But if he doesn't do that, Minnesota don't score that second goal. And I wonder which way the game goes then. Yeah. So, look, he's um, he's a workhorse, isn't he? Yeah. He's a machine. He's great. He really is. Um, and I love the fact that he's, he's so quick. His recovery speed is fantastic. Um, but technically, he's very good as well. The, the crosses of the balls, I know at, at times haven't found their intended target. But um, again, that, that's not solely on, on, on Metanier as well. Some of that's got to come from the movement from the centre yeah, forward as absolutely. well. So, um, look, he, he's been uh, an inspired signing for Minnesota. And, you know, I, I go back and forth with a couple of people. I, I don't, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of a more effective right back in Major League Soccer right now. So Minnesota United did very well finding him. Tinner home, maybe. Yeah, possibly. Um, but he's right. He's right up there. I'm saying he's in the. He's right up there with yep. that, in that kind of. Oh, I, I, you won't find an argument from me there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Portland. Let's move on to Portland. Uh, one never, one never likes to go to Providence Park <laughs> to play Portland. I think as a team, but I, I sort of feel like Minnesota's got to feel good, as good as they ever have, following back-to-back -back wins against Portland at Allianz Field earlier this season. Yeah, and and obviously Portland coming off the back of a surprising 1-0 loss at home to DC United as well. So um, I was chatting with Adrian Heath about this earlier today, and I think even he's surprised that the Timbers haven't been as consistent at home as, as a lot of people thought they would be. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I also agree with what he said as well um, in terms of, I don't know why people just expect all the time just because you're playing at home, you should win your games. Right. You know, it's a lot more complex than that. Um, <laughs> sure. So, um, look, I, I think um, this this is the game now, in my opinion, where um, if you get something from it, great. I think if you get a point from it, that's really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm happy to be wrong. 
I, I can't see Minnesota getting anything in Seattle um, just because the Sounders are flying right now. Yeah. But I can see them winning their remaining two home games. I really can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you and I were discussing this earlier today. We'll get um, into that. We'll, we'll come to that later. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I just think uh, against Kansas City, who, who just are wobbling like never before, um, it, I don't foresee much of an issue. Um, but Portland, um, it, again, it depends on who's available. But even if their main players aren't available, they've still got extremely good depth in their roster as well. Like, for example, if, if Fernandez doesn't start, Ibobasi will start up front and still cause an issue. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget Ibobasi set up Fernandez for the goal that they scored in the Open Cup uh, semi-final at Allianz Field yep. uh, with a, an absolute luxury pass as yeah, well. So, um, the Timbers are very good and they've been towards um, the upper echelons of the Western Conference for, for many years now for a, for a very good reason, Steve. They spend money and they spend it very well. Their scouting department is very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, I think this will go down as a, one of the more difficult challenges for Minnesota United over the course of the next few weeks. Yeah. So um, Portland, as a team, likes to absorb attacking energy and hit on the counter. We know this is what we've seen. We've seen them have troubles tr- sort of trying to break down um, other teams it, who are solid defensively. Um, so I don't think you necessarily, you know, succeed by playing that way against them. If they're going to play that way, three games in a row, we've seen three different formations. Um, we've talked about the three, five, two, the four, three, three, the four, two, three, one. Uh, we got a lot of different numbers, the four, one, four, <laughs> and we can throw all kinds of stuff out there. It, given the, a week, a, a luxurious week of no double game, which is, it seems like the first time it's happened in months. Hmm. Um, do you think we see, the four two three one again. Do we? Do we? Do you feel like you did such a? I, I looked at that lineup against RSL and I was like, I, I really like this lineup. Like I like. Do you see the same lineup just go out there again and 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 try to take it to Portland? Um, yes, but if I was in charge, I would do the five three two. Um, okay. And I would revert to three centre halves at the back again. I yeah. would have uh, Mwembe Tarat and Metinier either sides. Um, and that's no disrespect to Chase Gas, but I just think Metinier is probably more effective in in the left wing back role than, than he would be. Sure. Um, and you you have um, two holding midfielders in um, uh, you would go Gregorish and, and Alonso. Um, maybe you have Dotson ahead of them, or maybe you have Gregorish ahead of Dotson and Alonso, mm-hmm. and um, you know Quintero and uh, and and possibly Toy. Then you know I, I, that wouldn't surprise me. That, that's probably what I would do. I, I, I don't hate it. Well, I, I know that's it. harsh. It's extremely harsh on, on uh, Robin Lurd and, and Kevin Molino, Chase Gasper. Um, but you're here to win games, right? And, and yeah. it's not disrespect to them. It's not, um, it, it's not them being dropped out of the team because of poor form or ill will or anything like this. It's just this is the best lineup to get the better of a very difficult team to play away on the road. So yeah. expect a full-throttle attack from... Portland Timbers. Well, yeah, that's the other thing is that <clears throat> as much as Portland likes to hit on the counter, they need they need to get three points out of this. They do. Um, not more than we would like to get three points out of it, but I think, like you said, I think we'd be satisfied with one uh, looking at two other home games to come. And again, Portland has struggled to break down teams that defend in a low block. Um, yep. And so, you know, that get those two lines back there, clog it up, and then try to get out and let Quintero, who looks like he's on fire, and Toys had good times out there too. I loved seeing against LAFC, like you just put the onus on those two guys to make those decisions, and 
and you you saw that you did they didn't stand out there going who am I passing to like look at all these options like defenders were just defending swaths of empty space like Mm -hmm. like the LA defenders were just like I'm back here but there's nobody else back here because there's only two guys out front but they were causing havoc that way so I kind of like it I always like the I I I find the three five two or five three two trick pretty fun so on the road in places like portland and lafc and maybe even seattle i absolutely understand it yeah um i would not expect minnesota to have a huge amount of the ball should they go with that um and uh look i think that's fine that's okay if you absorb pressure that's not not bad and and minnesota um were so resolute defensively against lafc i could see something similar happening in portland so um that, that's what I would do anyway, Steve. But but to answer the question, I, I can still see Adrian going for the four two three one, sure. and that's not a bad thing either. No. All right, let's talk about the road to the playoffs. Is becoming a recurring segment now. <laughs> Here we go. Remaining games away, away against Portland, home against SKC, home against LAFC, away against Seattle. Currently, forty eight points. What what is the threshold to get over here? Do you think? <laughs> um. Um, I think 50 something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, we're talking about, we're talking about thresholds for, you know, home, home field advantage really at this point. Like I think right. it's obviously not impossible if you get nothing out of any of the rest of the games, you fall out of the playoffs. But I think we're talking more about positioning rather than simply being in the playoffs. I think, and you mentioned this earlier, I think if you win two and take a point from one of the others, that's like your minimum. That's yes. what you need. Um, Let's talk about LAFC because this is the most interesting one coming up. Again, I think winning away against Seattle on decision day is going to be difficult. A winning against SKC at home should be expected. Um, we're hoping to get a point from Portland. Yep. The LAFC game is kind of the wild card for me. Mm-hmm. Um, we discussed this earlier and the question of how LAFC or LAFC are going to approach this game. Um, and are they going to, they might rest guys or do they want to enter the playoffs with momentum? My counterpoint to this is, they're basically going to be off for two plus weeks after the regular season. The last games are on October 6th. Uh, the first round games are October 19th and 20th and they have a bye, So they're not going to play. So they won't play until October 23rd. So they've got a couple weeks. So either rest or momentum. I don't know if either of those fit factor into suddenly having a two week plus layoff. Here's the other question I thought of though. Minnesota United is the only team so far to beat them at home. Right. And they're going to face the winner of the four five matchup. Okay. If that game, if the game here against Minnesota United could be the difference between MNUFC having a three seed and a four seed, do you think maybe LAFC wouldn't want the Loons to be the first team they face after a two-plus week layoff at home again? Um, this is like some chess. It's like five-dimensional yeah, chess. But, like, you know, imagine that you'd rather maybe face a different – you'd want to face a different team in that four or five matchup. Depending that on that is um... – <laughs> Very, very deep, Steve. Um, <laughs> I I personally think what will happen is that you will see a first team of some sort um, from LAFC when they come to Allianz Field. Um, obviously, they, they have secured the Western Conference. I, um, I, I just don't... I don't think there's any real need to risk somebody like a Carlos Vela. Um, I don't either. Leave him at home. <laughs> but having said that, you, you will still see uh, Rodriguez. You, you, you'll still see uh, <laughs> yeah. Diamande and, and Rossi as well. And, and Mark Anthony Kay, I would expect to be in the center of the midfield. And, um, you know, uh, Bob Bradley, I think, learned his lesson not to 
to not play him um, uh, when he's available. Um, and um, the back, back line will be the same. Um, I, I just think there'll be a couple of players that he may very well have on the bench and may very well bring on if it's going catastrophically wrong for them. Sure. Um, because then you have the, the, the last game of the season, the regular season, and that's when I think he'll bring them in. Um, and then go into the playoffs with a bit of momentum behind sure. them. So yeah. um, we'll see. But I also I understand your point as well. It's going to be intriguing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I may have outthought myself yeah. uh, for that one. But if they if they don't play a first choice team, I'm going to say it's because of what I said. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll I'll take credit for it. I'll ask, I'll, I'll ask Bob about that when he's here. <laughs> um, anyways, thanks for joining us for the 74th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Sunday, September 22nd, against Portland Timbers FC at Providence Park. That game kicks off at 3 p.m. Central Time. It's an early one on ESPN. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating, and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Venturis. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. Mm-hmm.